Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molib, and every week I bring you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. We've got a real good one for you this week as we look back on some of the most iconic, dysfunctional families that television has to offer. We're talking Married with Children, The Royal Family, and George Lopez. Three very different shows, but three very dysfunctional families, and it made for great television. And after last week, I feel like we are back on track. So, let's get started. And uh, joining me as ever is producer Paul. Hey man, how's it going? You seem a lot more chirpy this week than you did last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like we're, we're, we're back on track. I'll tell you what, this week was absolutely stellar. Like you said, like every show was different in their own ways, but yeah. uh, you know. I really like all three shows. Yeah, same for way. different reasons. For, for for different reasons, all three shows worked. I think Married with Children was probably about a little bit controversial. It's a little bit wild, but is yeah. We'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, yeah, I was you know I was, I was reading about this uh, Omricon variant. Apparently, Steps did a show. You know the band Steps, the group, whatever. They're back. God knows why, but they're back. They did a show and they linked cases to that show they did in Glasgow. Oh, really? The, uh, of the Omicron, Omarion variant, whatever. Oh, really? In Glasgow? I was only there a couple of weeks ago. I mean, look, you know me. I like it when bands from the past like to come back, like to come back and they want to do their thing. Like, honestly, y'all steps do your thing get your five six seven eight on get your tragedy on get your whatever other silly songs they've got but if if you're going to that glasgow show you're not earning a proper bag then what's the point in just having a massive super spreader event actually it depends on how many people turned up but but probably about four i don't know man you know people people love this nostalgia stuff don't they the cleaners in the background sweeping up reliving their memories in the 90s don't they so they all want to go back and i don't i don't even know any more step songs apart from those two i just mentioned all i know i was actually no i don't know anything about step. five six seven eight yeah i mean i know i knew yeah, all the songs that i knew all the songs that you mentioned and the tragedy song and i swear they used to wear white all the time tragedy I, I I would love to know what Barry Gibb thought of that version. I would love to have known what he thought of that version they did. But yeah, I'm thinking if you're if y'all ain't earning a bag, like a proper bag, then I don't know if you should be doing shows in a pandemic. Yeah, agreed. Well, I mean, I, I don't think that money can even, you know, make it worthwhile for everyone else that gets COVID. I don't know, man. I mean, look, if they're doing a show and they're thinking, oh, people are going to come to the show, then, and, and they genuinely think, you know what, this is going to be a really, really good payday. We're going to earn money. We're going to put our kids through college and whatnot. Okay. I've got no problem with that whatsoever. On a normal occasion, if there is no pandemic, if there's no virus, then I'll be like, you know what, Steps, do your thing. H, Claire, <sighs> I got nothing after that. <laughs> the members. I, I mean, I didn't have anything to start with, so. Yeah, I don't know if you should be doing shows in a pandemic. Steps. I know, I know, I know. Whiskid did a massive gig in London, but it's Whiskid to be fair. So, 
You ain't with kid steps. I mean, I don't care who it is. I ain't going. Not in this pandemic. Well, naturally, I know a lot. I know, I, I know. I had like a few friends of mine who went to uh, one of Whiskid's uh, sold out Wembley. I think did he do Wembley Arena? Wembley. He did. He did a big, big show in London. I don't know if it was Wembley Stadium, Wembley Arena, but he did a big show. I know. I know a couple of people who went. Uh, I guess if it was yeah, Whiskid, fair enough. But Steps, yeah. Wait, 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 wait till this. Uh, wait till we figure this pandemic out, and then trust me, you guys. You can do all of your shows. Right, yeah, like I said, we are back on track this week. And yeah, let's get let's get right into it. And we're gonna start with Married with Children. And this show first came out in uh, April 1987. And some of the things happening in the world. The governments of the Portuguese Republic and the People's Republic of China signed an agreement in which Macau will be returned to China in 1999. The Simpsons cartoon first appeared as a series of shorts on the Tracy Ullman show. Canadian Prime Minister Brian Mulroney and the provincial premiers agreed on principle to the Meek Lake Accord, which would bring Quebec into the Constitution. The secret of my success is in the cinemas. And Wanted, Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi was in the charts. Oh, i got to love a bit of Bon Jovi. Do like a bit of Bon Jovi. Right, Married with Children. So this was a American TV sitcom created by Michael J. Moy and Ron Leavitt for Fox. It is the longest lasting live action sitcom on Fox and one of the longest running live action sitcoms in TV history alongside Cheers, MASH and the first to be broadcast in the network's primetime slot. The show follows the suburban Chicago lives of Al Bundy, a once glorious high school football player turned hard luck women's shoe salesman, his lazy wife Peggy, their beautiful and dumb and popular daughter Kelly, and their smart and unpopular son Bud. Their neighbours are the upwardly mobile Steven, Steve Rhodes and his wife Marcy, who later gets remarried to Jefferson Darcy, who's a white collar criminal who becomes her trophy husband and Al's sidekick. Most storylines involve our schemes being foiled by his own cartoonish dimwit and bad luck. Its theme song is Love and Marriage by Sammy Khan and Jimmy Van Heusen, performed by Frank Sinatra from the 1955 television production Our Town. And actually in the show's pilot episode, Tina Caspare played the role of Kelly Bundy while Hunter Carson played Bud. And before the series aired publicly, the roles for the two Bundy children were recast. O'Neill felt a lack of chemistry with the original actors cast as the children. He requested a recast, which the producers approved. All of the scenes in the original pilot were reshot with replacement actors Christina Applegate and David Faustino. Despite the show's enduring popularity and fan base, Marriage of Children was never a huge rating success. Part of the reason was that Fox, being a new startup network, did not have the affiliate base of the three big networks, which I'm guessing is CBS, NBC, and ABC. Obviously, American listeners, if that's not the case, then uh, feel free to correct me. And another problem lay in the fact that many of the newly developed series on Fox were unsuccessful, which kept the network from building a popular lineup to draw in a larger audience. And in its original airing debut, Married with Children was part of a Sunday lineup that competed with the popular Murder, She Wrote and Sunday Night Movie on CBS. 
Fellow freshman series included Duet, cancelled in 1989, along with its Gary Shandling show and the Tracy Ullman show, both of which were cancelled in 1990. The success of The Simpsons, which debuted on the Tracy Ullman show in 1987, helped draw some viewers over to Fox, allowing Married with Children to sneak into the top 50 TV shows for three seasons, doing nine of its best overall, rating at number eight for its third and tenth seasons. Although these ratings were somewhat small in comparison with the other three networks, they were good enough for Fox to keep renewing that show. Now, the Conservative Parents Television Council named Married with Children the worst show of both Night 5, Night 6 and Night 6, Night 7 seasons in its first two years in operation. In 1996, the organization called the show the crudest comedy on primetime television. And Amanda Biss, who played um, Marcy, what she said, as she told News Corp Australia in 2018 that she did not believe the show would work in the present day, you don't say, given its content and more politically correct climate. And what she said was, and I quote, it was a mean-spirited and misogynist show. It was just so completely inappropriate. Even then, it wasn't everyone's cup of tea, but for some reason, it had this amazing longevity. And despite the series' controversial content and being clearly aimed at a male audience, it did receive recognitions behind the scenes as being one of the few series at the time that gave women prominent roles backstage and was often praised for its treatment of women. The characters, so Al Bundy, who is played by Ed O'Neill, Jay. Yes. I was thinking what his name was in Modern Family. But yeah, it was a, a hell of a, 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 not a reinvention, but like managed to like land on his feet on another successful sitcom after. Yeah, one of my favorite characters in that show, man. Married, like... ch- married with children, yeah. So yeah, he's a misanthrope afflicted by the Bundy curse that consigns him to an unrewarding career selling women's shoes and a life with a family that mocks and disrespects him and still enjoys the simple things in life. Peggy Bundy, or Katie Segal, Al's wife, who is always pestering him about money and refuses to do any housework or get a job. Peggy is a lazy redhead who spends most of her time watching talk shows such as Oprah or stealing Al's limited funds to go shopping. Kelly Bundy, Christina Applegate. She's the first board. She's a stereotypical blonde who is often derided as promiscuous and dates men who irritate Al to the point of him physically assaulting them. Budrick Franklin Bundy, or Bud, is the younger Bundy offspring and the most intelligent family member and the first Bundy to attend college and played by David Faustino. Marcy Rhodes, or Marcy Darcy, played by Amanda Burse. She's the Bundy's next door neighbour. Al's nemesis and Peggy's best friend. She's an educated banker, but also a feminist and environmentalist who often protests Al's schemes with his no ma'am. So it's the National Organization of Men Against Amazonian Masterhood Group. Steve Bartholomew Rhodes or Steve. Or did I say Steve or Steve? Yeah, Stephen Bartholomew Rhodes or Steve is Marcy's first husband, a nerdy banker who finds himself frequently entangled in Al's schemes. And yeah, Jefferson Milhouse Darcy. He's a pretty boy scam artist to whom Marcy wakes up one morning and discovers she's married. Unlike Steve, Jefferson is an unemployed, lazy loafer who takes advantage of Marcy for financial purposes. Love and marriage. 
love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. Let's talk about this show. I was aware of it. It got a bit of flack from like, you know, it's a comedy. It's like meant to be like, it's making fun of some of these ideas. It's not promoting these ideas. I think a lot of people kind of, sounds like they missed the point of it. You know, and there was some rough themes in there, but I mean, it was it was still funny. Like, as in, it wasn't like uh, you could see the comedy aspect of it. Well, you know, you know, it wasn't meant to be serious, and I, I, I for one, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I too had also heard of this uh, show. You know, funny enough, yeah. I, as I keep as I keep referring to when I was living in Egypt, in terms of like television, because we were told when we were in Egypt, watch as much Egyptian television as possible. That remit flew right out the window because um, I managed to get managed to get a cable with like American shows, like all the footy and whatnot, and and there'd be like a couple of channels, and they'll show like strictly English speaking programs, and they used to show Married with Children, and I used to catch glimpses of this, and like my first impression was always like, oh, Al Bundy's an asshole, but obviously it's part of the whole like you said it's part of the whole fun it's part of the whole gimmick it's part of the show like that he is that and it's not an acceptable way to be because if it makes you recoil then you know that it's not i don't think there's many people that watched the show and thought you know what why didn't she get the juice he's got a good point i don't know what is she doing all day i don't know i think i think back then a lot of men would have watched this show and thought, yeah, come on, Al. Woo, woo. And then when, but you know what I did like? She would give as good as she gets. Yeah, absolutely. Peggy would always come back with a quick remark and you got all the, all the women in the audience. Woo! It's an age-old discussion, isn't it? Because a lot of people won't want you to actually think about this, but someone's got to wash up at the end of the night. Someone's got to do the cooking. Whether it's a, a, a man or a woman, someone's got to do it. Otherwise, you ain't eating. Or you're going to get in a takeout and that ain't good for you. You know, there's a discussion like, who should do it? Who should do the cooking? I, for one, I can't stand cooking. It's the worst job in the whole house. I'll do all the other jo- jobs in the house. I'll clean the toilets. I'll take the bins out. I'll do the washing up. I'll hoover up. Where is? I'll do anything like that. But I hate cooking. If I'm cooking, it's going to be an omelette and toast. And and I think part of my problem is that I don't cook until I'm really hungry. So then I can't be bothered to cook a, a, a nice meal, you know. But yeah, so obviously like it's bringing up these debates, and obviously we're talking about it now. But some of those like antiquated ideas of like men and women were probably a lot more prevalent in 1987 as they are today. I think there is probably a more openness on like both sides, to kind of like take on the responsibility, take on the jobs and whatnot. Whereas I think back then, it was probably, oh, I'm the man of the house. I'm working all day. So when I come home, I expect to find dinner on the table. And obviously, when you look at it now, you think that's rubbish. But Yeah, but the thing is, you know, to a degree, you know, not, you know, not that dinner should be on the table and this and that and the other. To a degree, though, like, you know, there there has to be some there has to be some give and take there. It's not all like, if, you know, if, it's, if a marriage is a partnership, you know, you shouldn't have to go out working and then come home and have to work all over again, right? There should be something there. No, no, that's, that's, that's the whole point. That's the, yeah. Obviously, back then, those ideas were there, but now it's like, it's a lot more, 
50-50 down the middle and... Yes, yeah, so I think that maybe, like, you know, as time goes on, you know, as a, like a good cheese, maybe this, this comedy's matured a bit and it and it works a little bit better because... I don't think so. In terms of, like, the material, because I watched a few episodes of this and all the time that I was like, oh, or like, oh, did you just say that? I'd be like, oh. But you know what? It was like both which i liked if it was like just one-sided where alice is bullying peggy then yeah there would have it would have been problematic whereas i think with this show peggy would be right there with the barbs yeah and i look i think obviously like there's um there's comedy and there's like misogynistic shows <laughs> you know we can't whatever anyway I don't it doesn't get surprise me no but it doesn't surprise me that people complained about this show it does not surprise me i think there was even more controversial episodes that I didn't get around to watching, but it doesn't surprise me one bit that the the parent, whatever they're called, the American Parent Association, it doesn't surprise me one bit that people complained about this show. Because it's Fox as well. It's uh, Fox is known to, to be a network that's a little bit out there, that don't mind going a little left with the comedy. and Don't mind paying a bit put, of a fine. And, 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 putting, and, and I think because they were kind of new, as well, so I don't think they they didn't really mind. So they're probably really... trying to catch the um, controversy because you know there's no such thing as bad press and all that. Well, cause it CCC controversy creates cash, but but I think with with all of that as well, and I think they maybe they try to get a, a head start on the uh, the other big networks. I think yeah, the other networks at the time had Cheers, Mash, as I mentioned before, like they had all those kind of programs. So I think those you thinking maybe look we need to find something and obviously this is a cult show like Al Bundy is like one of the most iconic characters of all time and that's why I'm you know admire Ed O'Neill for going to do Modern Family and redefining himself as a as a grandpa as a grandpa and just redefining his whole um, character because obviously everybody would have just known him as Al Bundy. To the point of maybe he's like typecast, where he's like, I can't really see you doing anything else. But then going back to be Jay in Modern Family, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think, I think, yeah, that's a, it's, it's a credit to uh, Ed O'Neill for 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 coming back and and completely switching up his uh, his skills and repertoire. Right. So let's uh, get into episodes. So, yeah, first thing, so uh, Buddy gets told off for creeping up on Sister and he's doing some, like, Rambo stuff. I don't know when Rambo came out, but I guess this was, like, a Rambo thing. I think like... by 87, it was, like, Rambo 2 or 3. Yeah, so he was I literally doing that. Rambo came out in, like, the early 80s. Yes, it was Rambo, right? That he was trying to, you know, when he's, like, cut his sister's throat and whatever. Not really, but, you know, he's pretending, obviously. Dad comes downstairs and, 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 <laughs> and Mum's put a cactus in the place for alarm clock and he's got, like, a bandage on his hand and he goes oh yeah i was meant to tell you i did that then buddy has show and tell and she's telling him that our oh, buddy's got show and tell and and he's doing a what does daddy do so he bought some beer and remote to school yeah so he's getting he's basically he goes in the fridge and he's annoyed because his wife peggy didn't get any juice and she's firing back and, and things like that and then and then peggy's like oh i hate it I hate wasting food i'll sit there and he's hungry and and uh she just goes right i'll tell you what and she walks over and she just gives it straight to the dog um, so she don't waste it, but obviously Al could have eaten it. Al, so Al's working in the shoe shop that he owns, and the lady thinks she's a seven, but she's a nine. And his little boy's making a mess in the shop, and he basically sends her on her way because she's not fitting in the shoes and she's not having it. 
I like what he was like, oh, the kid is like, oh, I want a balloon. He's like, oh, you've already got one. Yeah, and he's looking right. at yeah, the, the lady, yeah. Uh, Luke comes in, and he's from lunch, and he goes, can I go for a lunch break? And she, he goes, you've just been on a lunch break. He goes, yeah, but I was with a woman. And then Al's trying to sell marriage, and then Luke, Luke sees another woman and tries it on with her. But then Luke has basketball tickets, and he says, and this is like probably every guy out there, when he's talking to, not maybe in there, every guy, when he's just like saying, look, don't worry. It's no problem. I'll he gets bas- Luke offers him basketball ticket. He goes, Don't worry, I'll tell my wife that I'm going out. It's not a problem. I'm gonna, you know, I'll make it happen. <laughs> and then he goes home and he and like um and then so Peggy's actually been sitting on the sofa watching telly, like you know, smoking a few cigarettes and she hears it like, you know, the car pull up in the driveway or whatever, the keys are in the door, and she like gets up and she hoovers all the cigarettes out and she's like pretending that she'd been hard at work. And then uh, he asked for juice, knowing full well that she hasn't got juice, right? This is like his ammo. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to the game. And then she goes, no, no, you're not. And he's like, did you hear a question there? <laughs> and he's like, you know, really trying to uh, state it. Anyway, she says, no, she's my company over. And he said he's going. And then he's, and then she says, look, the bank accounts are in both our names. This is in both our names. Like, if you go, I'm going to the shops. And he's like, okay, well, I'll stay then. Al's a bit like me. He doesn't like company. You know, when when a wife brings her friends over, oh, you really get on with this guy. I ain't getting on with this guy. Uh, it just reminds me of a Chris Rock when he's like, oh, that's what the wife does. Just, oh, talk to him. He likes sports. Baseball. Talk about baseball with him. That happens a lot, I have to say. Yeah, anyway, he stays. And mum wants, wants company. So Peggy wants company. Buddy, because she's bored on her own all day, all day. Buddy comes in, wants a fiver, and he, because he's going to the basketball game. Then Kelly comes and wants money. She's going out with Stanley. Steve and Muzzy come over. Al hates them both. Like they're these is two like freshly married couple, and Al's giving them advice because like this guy doesn't watch sports because because Marcy doesn't like it. And in the other room, Peggy's giving Marcy's advice. And, and and you know it's, it's quite it's quite a cool little moment. So it's like um, Peggy's like making this really bad coffee. She goes like, look, you've got to learn, right? So I'm going to make him read bad coffee in here so that he takes me out for coffee. And then in the other room, he's like, you've got to assert yourself. You've got to, you've got to watch the, you got to watch sports if you want to watch sports and this and that and the other. Anyway, so after like some like basically bad advice, they go out. Buddy got an A in school. Al says, let's go out on Saturday because he likes a coffee with this new, other place so her plan worked. Then they go upstairs and that's the end of the episodes I watched. Um, So like there were some really nice moments in there, some you know, perhaps dodgy moments in there. But uh, yeah, it was overall, I actually quite liked it. Oh, I did like her about this episode because obviously, like, you know, you have to make sure that you sleep at the same time. And obviously Marcy's like, he goes to sleep later than me. It's like, oh, so what is he doing? It's like, he's having more fun without you. And I like how Al was like, oh, you can turn the TV on. It's fine. Turn it on. Go on, watch sports. Go on, yeah, just, yeah, just, yeah, just yeah. press turn that button. Turn it on, turn it on, turn it on. It's like... Because obviously I think they, I think uh, Steve and Marcy, they were the kind of the the typical 1980s social climbing and greed couple. So it's basically, yeah, we're going to, we're young and we're married and we're going to basically take over the world at the same time. And very much a thing in the 80s. But uh, yeah, so obviously they kind of see their cracks in their marriage already after episode one, whereas you see Peggy and Al are kind of like, the two mastermind and the puppets. And then I think in the end, they're like, oh, let's let's go out Saturday night. And but I think it's quite nice as well, because obviously in the honeymoon phase, you want to do nothing but be with each other. And But it's important in that sort of stage in your marriage to have some me time. So they had really valid points, as what I was saying earlier. You know, they had valid points and it was stuff that they needed to hear 
maybe it was too much the other way, but it was still stuff that's actually had a very good point. I watched an episode from season three called The Harder They Fall. So basically, Al's trying to get someone to eat, but there's no food. And he's trying to get the kids to find food, but they don't have any food either, or they don't have any food in the house. They're waiting for Peggy, because I think she's gone out, out of town, out of state, actually, to get something. Oh, the kids want to watch a VHS movie, but they don't have VHS. They've got beta, because they're cheap. And they don't, and obviously they don't like not having stuff. But yeah, Peggy has to go across state lines to get a beta movie in Milwaukee. Steve comes around and he's upset with Peggy because they were, I think I think Steve and Peggy uh, were went together. But then there was an aggressive driver that Peggy antagonizes and he goes after Steve. And then Steve is trying to hide from the guy, but Marcy's like, "Oh, your car smells like chicken." And obviously, Al's like to Bud, are you thinking what I'm thinking? They're like, I'm way ahead of you, Dad. He's got like the tweezers and the and the pan. So he's basically going to get the pigeons so that they can eat it. And Al is getting envious because I think Marcy has a bunch of VHS tapes. So Steve's like, you know what? You can come over. And they're basically, he's only inviting them because he's like scared of uh, the, the man. And so... He yeah, invites the Bundys over. They're basically eating all his food, watching VHS. And Steve is thinking about leaving and getting out. And yeah, Al is loving it at Steve and Marcy's house. Marcy talks to the man on the phone. And Peggy, again, gives it to him and then hangs up. Marcy thinks that Steve is really brave, but he's not really being brave. He tells Al in secret that he's scared. Al, Al tells a story about standing up to a horrible person. And then finally giving the person what they deserve. And it turned out to be Peggy's mum. And then Al tells him to knock him out with a punch in, in in the stomach or something. And so the door the door rings. Steve opens the door, like punches the person, and it turns out to be like a, a small person. So he ends up like punching him in the head. And Matt, yeah, he apologizes to Steve. Marcy thinks he was brave and the Bundys are laughing. And yeah, so the Bundys leave and they end up taking all the food and they end up taking the VHS player. Wow. I remember when uh, when VHS was like, oh my God, videos. Then I went to season six, If Al Had a Hammer. And Peggy is doing a baby progress report as she's pregnant. And Kelly and Al don't like these meetings. Kelly's reading the minutes of the meeting. And basically, it's just a load of notes of Al making fun of Peggy. And basically, yeah, Peggy makes another smart retort to Al. And Bud's trying to get away from the meeting, but he gets caught. And we learn that he gets a scholarship to go to junior college. But he wants a new identity. And so he's a rapper from New York. And he goes by the name of... Grandmaster B. And Peggy is, um, and obviously Peggy's like to him, oh, this this was a really clever bit. So obviously he's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a rapper from New York and I have to come to the Midwest to escape my life of crime. And then Peggy is saying, isn't that the part, isn't that the plot to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? And so he's like, it's NBC. So how would we know? <laughs> <laughs> Very, very clever. 
Hi, fourth wall. And uh, Peggy suggesting that the baby sleep with Al and Peggy. But Al is very much against it. And obviously their whole thing is saying, Heil baby, Heil baby. And they have to all stand up with the meeting. Heil baby. Before anybody comes on and switches on at this point, and me just going, Heil baby, Heil baby. It's from the show, all right? Don't be taken out of context or whatever. I don't, I don't want there to be a no context yesterday's capers where they're like just have me in rewind going Heil, Heil, Heil. But yeah, that's what they're saying. That's their whole thing. Every time they start a meeting, you have to say Heil, baby. And they all vote. So they're taking a vote where they're like, oh, who votes for the baby to sleep in Al and Peggy's room? So everybody puts their hands up. Obviously, Al's like, I'm the man of the house. I get a veto. They're like, whatever. They just ignore him. And Peggy and Kelly are making fun of Bud. And they're like, oh, are you called Grand Johnson B? Or are you called Bushwhacker B? And they just take a mick at him when he tries to impress a girl. And so Al finds his father's legendary hammer. So he's like, I'm going to build a room. And I'm going to use it to separate from their wives. Just like how it was always meant to be. He's like, my dad tried and I'm going to try. And so Peggy and the kids want to see what Al has built. And they think it's going to fail, but he hasn't. The room looks really good. And it's all down to the magic hammer. And it's like glowing. And he builds the room. And so Jefferson comes in. So this is the episodes with Jefferson in it. And so he wants to move in with Al because he's had enough of Marcy. And Al is like, you could stay one night, but you're not allowed to tell anybody. And as you do, switch on to the next scene. It's just the room is full of guys. They're all getting away from their wives. And they want to have fun. And Al's like, I'm, I'm worried about women finding out about the place. And then another cut to the scene. And you see Marcy running her club in Al's room. And so Al wants to destroy the room because it's been tainted. And they welcome Al back to the baby meeting. And Al learns that the legacy of his father's hammer is failure. And Bud tries to go into the room with a girl. He ends up getting whacked with the hammer. And the hammer is cursed. And then the last episode I watched was How to Marry a Moron. This, was, this wasn't the finale, but to many it was probably the finale. So Bud is writing a letter to someone in prison. And speaking of that, Kelly's boyfriend, Lonnie, he's out of prison. Wants to marry Kelly and Lonnie's asking for Al's permission. And Lonnie gets a ring and Al thinks it's a fake. So he basically slams the... Sla he's, he's getting his head and he's like slamming it on the door like, you're trying to get my daughter with a fake whatever. Then Peggy says the ring is real and Al realizes he's part of a big family, a rich family, so he gives him a hug. There's a bridal shower and Kelly's not really liking the presents. And she's giving away her black book full of numbers. And... Again, going back to the French Prince of Belair, it was like the moment when Will gives the Chictionary to Carlton. And he's like, I can feel the power. Yes! Yes! So, a another Fresh Prince of Belair reference. Peggy's talking about Al and how she still loves him. And basically, they're going to a strip club and Al sees Lonnie. And he's like, why are you here? You need to get out. And so... And then, so you know what? He's like, I don't want, I don't want uh, Kelly to marry him. I think he's a, a wrong one. And so they're like, are you sure? Because he got us a big screen TV. 10 feet wide with a laser disc. 
and then he puts on a movie with his favorite actor, John Wayne. So, this is also my dad's favorite actor, is John Wayne. So I'm in common with my dad. And then he's watching the movie. It's the wedding day. Peggy wants to know where her family are, like her extended family. And then, then they find that the dog, he kind of like digs up the invites. And so obviously Al is looking very sheepish. The Bundys are meeting the in-laws. Bud meets Lonnie's sister. Marcy is letting Lolly know that she wants to be more than a bank manager. And he makes a move on her, Lonnie, and then she slaps him. Al finds out and he's like, the wedding's off. And Al's telling Lonnie's family about him. And then he's like, oh, he's like that. He's got plenty of wives. Kelly still has the ring. She runs away and then she goes off with the grooms. And that's married with children. I thought it was okay, man. Like, I mean... Obviously, like I think, like I said, maybe we we have we have slightly different ideas now. These ideas that now look stupid are perhaps more funny. Maybe that's how it's working. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those. Yeah, like I said, it's uh, lots of antiquated ideas about love and marriage. And I think the general theme, I think for him, is like, yeah, look, marriage isn't what you think it is. It's not all flowers and sunshine. It's something that you have to work on every single day. It's something that you have to to be to be to be better at. And uh yeah, so yeah, I think they did a hell of a job. Ed O'Neill did a hell of a job and yeah, like I said, did a brilliant job in uh coming back to another sitcom playing a completely different character. So uh well done on that. Next up, the Royal Family. So this show came out in September 1998 and some of the things happening in the world. Google Incorporated is founded in Menlo Park, California by Stanford University PhD candidates Larry Page and Sergei Brin. The government of North Korea adopts a military dictatorship on its 50th anniversary. Iranian President Mohammad Khatami retracts a fatwa against satanic person author Salman Rushdie that was enforced since 1989. Rush Hour was in the cinemas. And I Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith was in the charts. Yeah, great song, to be fair. I mean, it's overplayed, but it's actually quite a decent song. Yeah, good song. Shame about the movie, though. It, they used it really well in uh, Blades of Glory, uh, the Will Ferrell film. Uh, yeah, great use of it there. Yeah. So, The Royal Family. So, this was a British sitcom produced by Granada Television for the BBC. It centres on the lives of a TV-fixated Manchester family, the Royals, comprising family patriarch Jim Royal, his wife Barbara, their daughter Denise, their son Anthony, and Denise's fiancé, later husband Dave. The series features simple production values and stereotypical portrayal of working-class family life at the turn of the millennium. It therefore has something in common with kitchen sink drama. Almost all of the episodes take place in the royal's home, largely in the telecentric living room, with the humour derived from the conversations held therein. Ahern and Caroline Ahern and Craig Cash co-wrote every episode, along with Henry Normal. Carmel Morgan and Phil Mealy 
A sixth special episode was set to be written, but Caroline Ahern sadly died in July 2016, which effectively brought the program to an end. Most episodes appear to take place in real time, and all actions take place within the Royals' council house home. Unlike most UK sitcoms of the time, the show was filmed in 60mm film using single camera production style and was not filmed in front of an audience. The producer, Glenn Wildhide, is on record saying, and I quote, it was a big fight to make sure it had no laugh track. And boy, am I glad he won that fight. And in the British Film Institute's list of 100 greatest British television programs, drawn up in the year 2000 and voted by industry professionals, the Royal Family was placed 31st. In the 2001 Channel 4 poll, Jim Royal, the misanthropic head of the household, known for such mocking phrases as my ass, was ranked 11th on their list of 100 greatest TV characters. In the 2004 BBC poll to find Britain's best sitcom, the Royal Family was placed 19th. The series had also won several BAFTA awards. The one-off specials take a more traditional sitcom storyline, where many scenes still run longer than the standard in line with the real-time nature of the original series. The 2006 special episode, The Queen of Sheba, was partly set in a hospital. Its narrative moves forward in time in a more structured manner. 2008's Christmas special, The New Sofa, is set over two days. In it, the characters spend Christmas Eve at the royal household in the traditional manner in front of the TV, followed by Christmas Day at Days and Denise's. The show's theme song is Half the World Away by Oasis, and when Caroline Ahern died, ex-Oasis member Noel Gallagher performed a tribute to Ahern by playing it during a concert in Nashville, Tennessee. Much of the 2009 Christmas special takes place in a caravan at a holiday park. It also features intermediate scenes of Dave driving the car there. All of the 2010 and 2012 episodes take place at the Royals' house. There was widespread speculation as to whether the show would return after the 2012 special. And in 2016, Tomlinson said that there would probably be a Christmas special that year. However, Ahern's death in July 2016 ended any chances of a return for the show. And yeah, Ricky Tomlinson was uh, Jim Royal. Sue Johnston was Barbara. And Caroline Ahern was Denise Best. Ralph Little was Anthony James Royal. And Craig Cash was Dave Best. So, yes. The Royal Family. This is... A an absolute masterpiece of uh, sitcom writing. Like I don't think there's many things that can come close to this and have so little scenes in it, so little characters. Everything's relying on dialogue. This is an absolute British masterpiece, and yeah, it's it's incredible. I loved it. I've watched all of the episodes. I've watched. Um, I only watched a couple this time around because I've watched. I watched them all. Yeah, I think they're all great. The first series is amazing i think everybody in the whole country wanted whatever chocolate bar they wanted that particular day or whatever it was you know send anthony down the shop to get a crunchy whatever it was everyone was buying the same thing the next day yeah, this, is, this is amazing this is true true masterpiece yeah absolutely and uh honestly like caroline ahern deserves all the credit in the world man she is just a comedy genius obviously i think mrs merton in the 90s it was something that 
we uh, we had on the TV, just an iconic character on TV, and then obviously with this show. Now look, me, I'm I'm about as London centric, Southern centric as you can get. I, I think that anything past Watford is the North, quote unquote. So this was kind of like a a real insight into life in the north and just little things like the immersion i didn't know what the hell the immersion was didn't know anything about it. we never because we never had immersions never at any point we had it because obviously you have to turn on the immersion it gets really really hot it heats the water in the it, tank it, yeah. yeah 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 it's, yeah it's very very old yeah we yeah yeah we, we you know we, we we never really had that we had the thing you just turn on when you turn off again and then it heats everything. Obviously, hot water was always there for us, so we never really had to worry about immersion. Yeah, we we didn't we didn't get um, a hot water boil, uh, so like a combi boiler, as you call it, until early two thousands, maybe mid two thousands, something like that. So we had immersion heater. You know, who's used all the hot water? That sort of you know. Argument yeah, yeah, had. yeah. Yeah, I think I think I think in the house we are now, it, it had an, an immersion heater, but I think they just got rid of that because like, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's very old-fashioned, very, 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 not, not very it's, it's economic. Very things like that. And obviously, watching the TV, sitting on the TV and just having chats, that's what people do. Obviously, you know, it will do. I don't know if it, it, it still do that. But yeah, they, it's, it, it was a very much a thing. It's very northern. The accents could be something of a throw-off. You're right, Denise. Yeah. You're right, Dave. Jim Royal is fantastic. I tell you, Who's an underrated character on that show? Joe. Oh, Joe. Yeah. Joe. Yeah. Oh my, I love Joe. Joe is like the MVP of that show. Just comes in. Doesn't say anything. You're right, Joe. Oh, why? How's things? Good? Yeah. Watching, doing anything today? Like a piece of cake? He's just sitting there eating the cake. And I love, and then then you got Jim going. Oh, look at the silver-tongued Joe here. Honestly, yeah, this 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 show was fantastic. Like I said, taught me a lot about the North and obviously how they see us, like oh London, very very posh and whatever and certain things. Oh, they're going to Marxes and obviously Marxes is Marx and Spencer. I never knew Marx and Spencer's Marx and I can't even say it. Marx and Spencer's was like posh. I think it's one of the like as in like it's up there with like Waitrose, isn't it? Maybe one up, one up from Waitrose. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Marks and Spencer's. I would Waitrose. have thought Waitrose was the top, and then Marks's. Mm, I don't know. I mean, maybe I Waitrose. Perhaps I don't know. Anyway, but we got Waitrose, uh, Marks's right now. Just below that, you probably got the Sainsburys. Then you got your Tesco's. Then you got your Asda. Then you've got your Lidl and your Aldi. Right. That's your. That's the. That's, that's the class system of supermarkets <laughs> in the UK. <laughs> but yeah, this is, it's just yeah, little things like that, and yeah, the, and you know what? They were like just nice. I think Jim can be horrible. I find I find myself being very sympathetic towards Anthony, and I'm very very happy that he made something of himself. Do you know? It's sometimes it was just the looks that Jim gave that had me in stitches. Like, <laughs> like you know the. Uh, you know they're talking Get up about there, you, know, you soft sod. Yeah, it's the acting in it was. You know the acting was superb. It was very close. I was what. Oh, I was, oh, oh, and when they used to take the mick out of Cheryl, that was so mean. Because I think when Cheryl puts an ad for a dating site, and you got like Jim like 
giggling in the corner. Yeah, I mean, some of it was pretty harsh. But uh, there's there's a podcast, Will and Ralph, um, and they talk about it. Um, they talk a little bit about that. They talk most of all uh, about their their two pints comedy. But um, uh, Will talks about not Will. So Ralph talks about um, some of his time in um, thing. It was what's what's that? What's I don't I've forgotten her name. It's Anthony's girlfriend, Sheridan something. Oh, Sheridan Smith, is it? Yeah, so she not sure if it's Smith or Sheridan or whoever it is, but um, so I'm only thinking that because it's Smithy from uh, Thingy, and she's the second Smithy, so I'm not sure if that's the 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 right one. But um, I think her name is Sheridan Smith. Yeah, so apparently she got the job from uh, in uh, Two Pints because she was like over kind of friendly, over familiar with Ralph in a in a in a Thingy. Anyway, this is like the first episode of uh, Will and Ralph podcast which is really funny and really good i'd recommend watching it really she actually has a christmas song with gary barlow out really this year yes really yes it's a load of tripe but uh... oh okay yeah i mean yeah i'm just literally regurgitating what i heard on that podcast i'm not no like with with this show honestly yeah ricky tomlinson is just a genius he's just fantastic everything about this show was just was was great all of the moving parts have very little Moving parts, they were they were great. Honestly, this was like a proper northern sitcom. It was unapologetically northern. Even like the way they talk, it never really mattered. Like if if you don't understand, then tough. It's it, it was just one of those things where yeah, it was it was very very northern AF. And obviously, yeah, getting Oasis for the. Well, I don't think they got away. They just, they just selected the track, and the BBC just kind of did their things. Obviously, I think with with the BBC, if you work for the BBC and you use music, you're allowed to use any music you like. So I remember when I had to do um, when I had to do like r- radio reports for like BBC Radio, and when when we asked them all oh, in terms of soundtrack, what can we use? And they're like, you can use whatever you like. Like they've got like the copyright waiver thing. I don't know how it kind of works. You know, like with everything. You got copyright, 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 copyright. When we used to do like TV shows and we used to use music, we'd have to use a certain type of music that's like sort of from a catalog and you could just kind of use that for free. Whereas um, with the BBC, it's like you can use like songs, whatever, you can use it absolutely free. So yeah, let's uh, let's talk about episodes. Right, so I watched like episode, what did I watch? Like episode one and then like episode last one where she oh, what married. i was gonna say was i like how they always reference stuff from the day so for example you have anthony doing ali g impressions obviously that was very big you would have um certain tv shows that were very popular at the time and even like the one of the first things that jim says good to talk my ass and i was thinking that was the bt slogan at the time Starts off, Jim's going through the phone bill. Barbara, and he's getting at Barbara because she called Mary, who lives next door. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> Then Mary comes in, and then Denise asks Cheryl to come around with the catalogue. Um, so but, but it turns out Barbara's got a job in a bakery, and she's a bit nervous about starting it. And then she's having a laugh with uh, Mary, and Jim's just like shooting her looks, you know, like, and it's these looks, honestly, that I haven't thinking. And, and then he's like going through the phone, and he goes, Who's been ringing Aberdeen? Oh, and he goes, <laughs> Uh, Denise, Denise is getting married, and he's like, um, "How many a wedding cake for two hundred quid?" He's like, "He goes, how many tears is that?" And then Jim just looks over and goes, "Plenty of tears if it's two hundred quid." <laughs> <laughs> and Anthony comes in and he uh, leaves a light on in the kitchen, and Jim's like, 
Anthony, are you, uh, which room are you in? This one or that one? He's like, I'm in here. I'm, I'm, I'm in here. He goes, why is the light on in that one then? Classic, you know, dad scolding. So Denise and Cheryl are going through the catalogue, talking about hers and Dave's wedding. Jim asks Anthony to make tea. As soon as he, so, so, so Anthony, Anthony's having his dinner, and as soon as he gets up to go in the kitchen, <laughs> he's like, why is it so easy to get, why are you in there, make me a cup of tea? And then Anthony's like, oh, he's waiting for me to come in here. Uh, then Dave comes in, and he goes, and, and he's like, uh, uh, have you had your tea, Dave? Yeah, what do you have? Corned beef ash. Oh, and he's like, oh, how's your mate in Aberdeen? <laughs> yeah. He's like, just trying to catch him out. <laughs> <laughs> then Twiggy comes around and he's got some like jeans and stuff like that. Jim Jim's trousers are worn out, so he buys some. Anthony goes out for some fags and he goes, "Oh, can I buy ten for myself?" And he's like, "No, you're too young. Even everyone in the house is smoking, apart from him." Um, actually, I don't think Jim smokes, does he? Jim doesn't smoke. I've never seen Jim smoke. Yeah, I've never... I've never seen him smoke either. But he's always getting them. Yeah, and I never saw Dave smoke. Anyway, so Dave has got a DJ gig for Beverly Macca's 18th birthday, and Denise thinks she fancies Dave. This is like an ongoing thing throughout the yeah, whole. With Beverly Macca, and we never see her. You never see Beverly Macca, but he always he's always in trouble for fancying her. But even though he's never mentioned her, uh, anyway. So Dave drops one, you know, like he kind of lets one rip, and then and then Denise says that smells like corned beef, and then Barbara goes, "Oh, we're going to be having that one night." <laughs> Oh, I like that they were watching TFI Friday with uh, Chris Evans. And like Jim's just basically slanging him off like, oh, he's everywhere on TV. And obviously, yeah, TFI Friday. I think we used to watch that as well. Every Friday night, it's at 7 o'clock. I mean, Chris Evans is not my favorite guy. But anyway, Jim Jim just looks at her and shakes his head. He's like, he doesn't like that. You're connecting the dots there. Um. Uh, and Nana calls and Anthony answers it. He doesn't have anything to say to her. So Barbara speaks to her about a voucher palaver. Uh, she passes it to Jim, who throws it to Denise. He's like, oh, Denise. All right, wait, Denise. Okay, All right, okay, you can speak to her now. <laughs> throws the phone to her. Barbara says she's uh, lost her looks, but she's still got a figure or something like that. And then Jim just looks over and just goes, that reminds me, I must clean that mirror. And then, and then Denise is like, oh, but by the way, if you see my mate Angus from Aberdeen, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. is this a joke? Yeah, so then she, they go. Bob's going to have a bath and Jim will get in after her. He gets up, he likes his jeans. Uh, the next one I watched was the wedding day. Oh, yeah, Twiggy bringing the jeans. Yeah, yeah. He's always got this knockoff merchandise. Oh, I watched Jim's birthday. So, yeah, Denise feeling rough, but he's basically hungover. Barbara has sympathy for her. Dave's coming around. What do you have for tea? Liver and onions. And Dave's like, oh, Denise has been drinking. That's why. And so Anthony comes in, he has a, a black eye because he got into a fight with uh, two boys. Everyone's saying happy birthday to Jim. Jim gives a speech and then I just see yeah, Joe comes around and he's just being all awkward. Mary comes in and she's talking about Cheryl failing her diet. And then Cheryl takes a photo of everyone. Cheryl comes around and brings the jacket for Denise. And basically, Jim is winding her up. The jacket costs 200 quid. And obviously, Dave is like, how much does it cost? Because obviously, they're like, oh, if you pay um, £5 for 40 weeks. And then obviously, he's like, that works out to be £200. Like, what the hell? And they're all having a polo and watching Corrie. Polos, yes. See? Yes. And they were talking about where they were when JFK was shot. And obviously, oh, because Anthony's like, oh, you're supposed to know when uh, JFK was shot where you was. And obviously, Jim was like, I have no idea. And then obviously, I think Barbara's like, oh, we was in the cinema. And it just came on. 
and they turn on the immersion, the immersion and Denise is not having a shower. Then they're teasing Anthony about not having a bath. And again, Jim is winding Cheryl about the... Oh, because I think Cheryl is like dressing up to go to the pub or whatever. And Jim is basically just like teasing her about the way she looks. Then they all go to the pub to celebrate. And yeah, the, the next episode I got down was the wedding one. I really should have wrote down some of the, the barbs. Actually, no, they were too mean. Uh, um, yeah, I mean it was funny though. Um, it was, the wedding day was, uh, do you know what? It's it's one of those times when it's we speak about it time and time again, but it's comedy, emotional comedy, emotional comedy, emotional. Like this is real, real good writing. So Cheryl and Denise getting ready for uh, Cheryl and Denise getting ready with Denise. But I think it's Cheryl and Barbara getting ready with Denise, smoking and drinking brandy. Norma's downstairs sorting herself out. Uh, Twiggy brings Dave in and he's wasted, and Barbara gets says to get rid of him. Uh, oh, he can't... tricks them, doesn't he? When he walks in, like pretending to be drunk. Oh, is that, was he tricking him? I didn't even pick up on yeah. that. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, ho, ho, one nil, one nil." Uh, so Twiggy brings Dave in. Oh yeah, uh, uh, Jim gets everyone whiskey and asks Nora if she wants one, and she gives the old Christmas. I'll have one on Christmas and Easter or whatever. And he, and he, he, you know, the whole Doc Cotton thing. You know, it's like. I don't drink, but I'll have something to warm the old cockles. And then Jim, mid-speech, Jim just goes, bloody hell, <laughs> bloody hell, Norma. Yes, is it yes or no? Cheryl comes down and says Dave has to go. Dave's best man is coming in straight from work. Upstairs, De- Denise and having a meltdown because Dave's there. Nana comes upstairs and she says, it'll be the happiest it'll be the happiest day of your life. And then like little pause and she goes, it's all downhill from here. So Nana gets offered a brandy and she goes, you know I don't drink. Oh, go on in, just do one to wet my whistle. Jim and Dave alone in the kitchen, Jim, Jim gives Dave advice. He goes, if you're going for a night out and you're going to be back, at, this is good advice, by the way. If you're going to, if you go, if you go for a night out and you're going to be back at eleven, he says, say you'll be back at twelve. So when you come back at eleven, you look, you look like you've come back early for her, and you look, you'll be a hero. And then, like, it kind of like all the BS kind of gets cut here, and, he, and Jim looks at Dave and he goes, you will look after her, won't you? And he goes, of course I will, Jim. You know, like this real straight man to man moment here, and I quite like that. And then Cheryl's planning for Twiggy if there's no one better. Joe comes in, he doesn't really say much. Mary comes in after and she says, do you like Joe's suit? We bought it for his brother's funeral. And then Denise comes down all dressed up. Even Anthony's dressed up uh, and he says that she looks nice. Everyone leaves for the church and Denise uh, and Dad are left to have a heart to heart. When Denise leaves, she takes one last look out the door. Sorry, one last look in the thing and then she uh, leaves. Yeah, I went on to watch a, a really famous, or a really classic, with a classic moment. It's, so it's basically they're decorating. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Twiggy yeah. and Jim are basically, yeah, they're just having a little natter, talking about how Dave is under the thumb. I love how Barbara comes in and they're like, spit the tea out and they're like going back to uh, sorting out the room for baby David's christening. Mumbo number five scene. Where they're all just basically dancing to that song. Stripping wallpaper, yeah. Great song. Really great song. Like, Lou Bagel was in his bag when that song dropped. Then basically Twiggy has... Um, Twiggy knows something about Dave. And obviously Jim's like, oh, tell me, tell me, please. And obviously Twiggy's like, <laughs> I can't tell you. I can't possibly tell you. And so, yeah, basically Dave misplaces his van, gets the police involved and everything. And almost gets arrested for wasting police time. And they're just basically laughing their heads off about it. Dave comes around. Jim and Twiggy are basically like, oh, just giggling. And obviously Dave, and then obviously Jim's like, oh, how, how, how's your van? And obviously Dave's like, huh? 
oh, no, 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 I mean, how's your mom? And they're still laughing at him. And so, obviously, Dave's like to Twiggy, you told him, didn't you? And he's like, oh, he's like, I didn't say anything. And then, obviously, Dave's like, if you don't want me basically telling everybody, you better help us with this uh, wallpaper. And again, they're scraping along to This Is My Moment by uh, Martine McCutcheon. I actually did some research on this. Tiffany from EastEnders. Yes, this was her first foray into music. God, I, I, actually, I know, I was listening to the song, I think, oh my God, I remember this song. Denise and Cheryl come round. They're talking about her new scales. She weighs less. And they make Cheryl take Baby Davis upstairs while Denise has a fag. They're still scraping away. Darren and Anthony are now here. And now Dave is talking about Darren's date from Argos, who looks like Tina Turner. And then they're talking about Black Roy and his white wife. And how they now got Sky Digital. And then Twig and Jim are then talking about Beverly Macca. And Darren's uncle burned the pub down so that he could get insurance money. The boys are doing like this Ali G impression. And they went and they're like, oh, go into that room with the boys. And they're like, oh, they're, oh, they're like, oh, we don't want to be roped into doing that. So they go into the room and then, and then everyone's basically singing simply the best to Darren. Because obviously his girlfriend is like Tina Turner. And they're singing private dancer, dancer for hire. Tina Turner's so great, man. Tina Turner's awesome. And you know what I did? I actually, without writing any notes, I watched the Queen of Sheba episode, which I thought was absolutely magnificent. Which one was the Queen of Sheba one? It was one where uh, Norma passes away. It was, I think, the Christmas episode of 2006. I mean, this is an episode where I would recommend you go out of your way to watch, even if you haven't. And it was just basically how she ends up living with them during her like final days and how she stole the the, the batteries from uh, Jim's remote. And he was really like upset about it. And he's like, do you know it was left on? Location, location, low bloody cation. <laughs> I used to hate that show. I related to that line, man. That show sucks, man. But then obviously towards the end, they kind of get on and no, it was, it was a really, really good episode. Really liked this episode. I thought it was absolutely brilliant from like start to finish. It was just, yeah, if go out of your way to watch it. I thought the last episode of the Royal Family, was it Barbara's Ring or was it? It might have been Barbara's Ring. I thought that was a really bad episode. The last one I remember was one where they had to do Christmas dinner in Dave. In, in no, they did more. They did a couple more. They did a couple more after that. Um, they did one where they went away on camping. I didn't think that was particularly good. There was one where they were kind of helping Joe find a date. I kind of liked that one. I thought that was kind of funny. But the final episode, yeah, that I didn't think that was good. And I could understand why I think if Caroline Ahern wanted to come back and 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 write one more. Because yeah, the, the final one, but I think it might have been Barbara's ring. But it, yeah, that, that episode wasn't great, I'm afraid. And obviously I love the royal family and I, I I think the Queen of Sheba may have been the right place to to end it because that was such a fantastic episode. Like, go out of your way to watch it. Uh, honestly, this show was brilliant. Caroline Ahern was 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 brilliant as well. Like, honestly, she is 
a British comedy legend forever and a day. And she deserves all the flowers in the world for that. Last but not least, George Lopez. And this show came out in March 2002. And some of the things happening in the world. The Envisat environmental satellite is launched with its purpose being the recording of information on environmental change. Nearly 650 protesters cited for disorderly behavior at the opening of Washington summit sponsored by the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. The Sri Lankan government and members of the separatist Tamil Tigers begin peace negotiations in Thailand. Ice Age was in the cinemas. And Unchained Melody by Gareth Gates was number one in the charts. Now, do you would you like to hazard a guess as to who he knocked off the number one spot from? 2002, The Black Eyed Peas. Well, why don't you think of the show where Gareth Gates came from? Oh, Will Young. Yes. I think because I Will Young right now. Yes, Will Young was number one in the charts with uh, Evergreen. And that was a song he released as like the winner's single for winning Pop Idol. And then weeks later, Gareth Gates knocked him off the number one charts. I thought Dollars to Donuts, Gareth Gates was going to win Pop Idol. I think the whole world and his wife thought Gareth Gates was going to win. I have no idea how Will Young pipped it at the dash at the last second. But, uh... I, know, but I thought Will Young was pretty good, though. Yeah, is... yeah. Yeah, I think he is the better singer and I think he's the better all-rounder. But I thought, you know, because Gareth Gates, the young appeal, all the young girls loved him. I thought I thought, I thought, he was a shoo-in to win it. But, uh, but no, Gareth, you know, Will Young won. Fair play to him. I thought he fell off, but he came back with a, a brand new album and everything. Yeah, no, honestly, I thought, man, I thought, I thought Will Young fell off. Because <laughs> I think, where the hell are he gone? I heard he fell off, but he, he didn't. And yeah, he's he's back. So uh, yeah, that was a, a fun time. 2002. Will Young and Gareth Gates fighting over the number one spot. Right. So George Lopez. So this was a American sitcom created by George Lopez, Bruce Helford and Robert Borden and stars the titular comedian George Lopez, who plays a fictionalized version of himself and revolves around his life and work raising his family in Los Angeles. The comedy is revolving around him and he works at the Powell Brothers Aviation Factory and raises daughter Carmen and dyslexic son Max with his wife Angie. And after surviving a miserable, dysfunctional childhood at the hands of his neglectful, alcoholic mother, Benny, who is portrayed as selfish and cold-hearted. Other characters include Angie's indulgent father, wealthy doctor, Vic Palmero, who is not very fond of George, and George's best childhood friend, Ernie Cardenas, noted for his socially awkward behaviour and unsuccessful attempts at dating. After Carmen's departure from the series, because she goes off to college, Angie's overindulged niece, Veronica, moved in, laden with a large trust fund that is entrusted to George's care. Multiple storylines in the series are established through the unveiling of a secret guarded by Benny throughout George's whole childhood, most notably the discovery that his father, Manny, is still alive after Benny had convinced George that he died. Throughout much of the series, George tries to locate his father. When Manny's finally introduced, he turns out to be a nasty but successful businessman who is now married to a woman named Lydia. 
with whom he has more children. Manny's personality was commonly depicted as being abusive towards his son and former wife in a few appearances before he dies of kidney disease, much to George's fury. Manny has prohibited his son's family from attending his funeral in protection of his reputation. Comedian George Lopez had been performing stand-up throughout the early 90s, expressing interest in having his own comedy show like Seinfeld. Lopez was only willing to do a show if it meant that the roles were not demeaning to Latinos, vowing to never play a murderer, a drug dealer, or gang member. With an absence of TV deals, he continued to perform stand-up throughout the 90s and into the 2000s. In August 2000s, after giving one of Lopez's comedy albums to listen to, actress Sandra Bullock saw Lopez perform live at the Brea Improv Comedy Club. Bullock had been interested in developing a TV show with a Latino storyline, being concerned about the lack of visibility for Latinos on American television. Bullock approached Lopez backstage after the show and made her pitch to produce and star in a situational comedy centered around the comedian. Though Bullock had connections through Hollywood, the George Lopez show was not an easy sell. Bullock sought help of Bruce Helford, who created the Drew Carey show and had been a head writer for Roseanne, and due to his history with ABC on those shows, became a co-creator and exec producer of The Lopez Show. And Lopez drew much of the material for the show from his own life experiences, especially his upbringing in the San Fernando Valley. Upon the series' debut, Lopez became one of the few Latinos to star in a TV comedy series following the footsteps of Desi Arnaz, Freddie Prinze and John Leguizamo. And Lopez attributed the cancellation in part to the fact that the show was not produced directly by ABC Studio, but instead by Warner Bros. Lopez also criticized ABC's decision to approve the show Caveman, being perplexed at the circumstances. And what he said was, and I quote, So a Chicano can't be on TV, but a caveman can? According to Lopez, 170 staff members who worked on the show lost their jobs. Lopez explained that he took five years of good, and I did a lot with the good. My popularity, I was involved in charities, I overcame my illness, all on TV. I shared all of that with America. Every secret I had, every motion, everything was open to the show. And what happens? Yeah, damn. So, uh, let's talk about the show. I, mean, I didn't realise it was that heavy, getting it on telly and staying on telly and this and that. And I saw like, on Netflix there was loads of like stand-up stuff, but I never watched any of it. I thought this was a good show, man. Again, like w- that none of the none of the shows that we watched this week missed at all. I enjoyed I enjoyed the characters. I thought it was quite you know it's a kind of like softer comedy. There wasn't any like you know moments in it. So I thought it was like, in that respect it was a lot softer, a lot easier to watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, this was another comedy that was on TV when I was living in Egypt. That's how I kind of knew about it. Obviously, I know who George Lopez is. He's a very prominent comedian. I did like how he was determined to say, look, I don't want Latinos to be stereotyped on TV. I'm going to fight for this. I want there to be uh, a wholesome show starring Latinos on TV. And you know what? Like, fair play to him. Like, he did... I, yeah, I, I, I liked the show. I thought it was a very cute show, very endearing, very nice, very lovely. Having Sandra Bullock involved is very, very a, a nice thing to do. 
And yeah, it was just a shame that obviously, obviously because he's not white or whatever, if George Lopez was a white guy and he was called, I don't know, George Smith, then he would have had another 10 more seasons of the, of this show. But no, honestly, they they tried it, and obviously, it was it was it was good to see like a a good, solid, hardworking family with all the all the moving parts. I yeah, I I really liked the show, and George Lopez definitely did deserve better. He he really really did, and he did well to have the show on for however long they did. I think six seasons, maybe. So I guess that's not too bad. So uh yeah, so let's let's talk about episodes. Oh, so okay, I'll do the pilot. It's called Prototype. So George is getting ready for work. Carmen has a lot of letters excusing her from swim class. And obviously they're like, Why are you trying to get out of swim class? Because I think she was lying about having a period. And obviously, his wife, Mrs. was like, but Angie, she's like, look, you need to sort this out. And so George was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell you a lie. You're, you're not going to know the lie, but you're going to know there's a lie coming. And so there's someone basically calling in sick to work. George basically he's promoted now, so he becomes a manager. And so he's like to Danny Boy, yeah, you better come into work or else. I'm not really going to have that. And George decides to ban lunchtime beers now that he's boss. And obviously Ernie's like, we used to do this all the time. He's like, look, now I'm boss. You're not allowed to drink during your lunchtime. And Benny is trying to like punch her mates into work, even though they're not here. And so George is like, look, you can't do that. They're not here. So George has to meet up with the big boss and he has to now make cuts to uh, save up. So he has to cut either his best mate's crew or his mum's crew. And he doesn't know what to do. So one thing I liked about George Lopez was that he would always go to his wife. He would tell her everything. He wouldn't like keep secrets or nothing. So he's basically going, look, I've got, I've got to tell you something. I have to, I have to fire either my best mate or I have to fire my mum. What should I do? And obviously he's like, I can't hire Ernie because it's going to be more expensive to outsource what people do, like what Ernie does. And we, it's, it's important to keep what he does and what his team does. But he's like with, uh, with Benny, that's more expendable. So he decided he's going to fire his mum. So George is talking to Carmen about her problems. And basically she's worried about getting hair in her armpit. So he's like, look, I want to shave them. And hair on my legs. And he's like, yeah, 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 you can shave, whatever, no problem. And George is telling Angie that he has to fire his mum and she can move in with us. And then obviously Angie's like, okay, all right, fine, reluctantly. Ernie wants to know who's getting fired at work. And obviously Benny's like to George, grow a pair. Someone has to fire. Then George is talking to Benny and tells her that, that she and the inspectors have to go. Then Jack tells... Jack is the big boss and he's like, look, it's a test. We wanted to see if you were tough as a boss and you don't have to fire his mum. George is angry and he's like, look, I want to quit. Like, why are you playing me around like this? And then George is like, okay, fine. I don't, I'm not going to leave, but I want Christmas and New Year's off with pay. And obviously he's like, fine, fine. And then obviously Benny is proud of George for having the guts to fire her. 
then the next episode I watched was from season two. Yeah, so I watched just the one in series one, episode two. So mum's giving the kids red streaks and she was 13 and she she was reminiscent to a time when George was 13 and he shaved his head and he said, now we're even because he's giving it to her daughter. Duncan comes in and Carmen has red streaks. Carmen and Duncan, so D- Duncan's Carmen's kind of boyfriend and they go and study. George is like really not happy about it. And then the mum says like, Oh, she'll be pregnant in a week. Now at work, Ernie's depressed because his girlfriend broke up with him and he comes home for dinner. George is back in. Carmen's upstairs studying with Duncan and he's not happy about it. So he pays his son to go and spy on his sister, but he comes back downstairs and says the door's shut. So uh, mum tells George that she's being stupid and says, if you keep an eye on them, oh, to let him to trust him and um, you should go and like basically go for all their stuff. George sees a chat online and pretends to be Carmen. Uh, she finds out, gets annoyed. He gets told off by the wife and she says you should go and apologise. She leaves and the PC's kind of going off and then Ernie comes in and they're both on a computer together. And they learn about a party that's happening at Stacey's house where there's going to be alcohol and no parents and stuff like that. He turns up, breaks up the party. George takes her home and she's crying and says that Duncan broke up with her because she wanted to, didn't want to go further in a physical relationship than, uh, and he dumped her for that. Then they have a hug, they have a, like, a nice heart to heart. And then at the end, all of the women is basically saying that all men are pigs. And then George comes down and gets popcorn thrown at him. Right. Okay. So I watched the episode, yeah, from season two called The Show Dyslexic. And yeah, it starts off with Ernie. He has a row with his mum because she doesn't like his new girlfriend. And he wants to stay with George. Ernie's being annoying while George has to basically read up some notes from work about everyone's retirement plan. Max is getting his dad to sign a letter. And obviously, George just signs a letter he doesn't know. And it's a letter for a parent-teacher conference. And obviously, Angie looks at the letter and is like, we have to go to the school. And it turns out that Max didn't take the test at school. He just basically drew and scribbled on the paper. Max and Angie go to the school to talk to the teacher. And so they have this little thing where it's like a caterpillar. And the longer the caterpillar is, the more books you've read. And they're like, where's Max's one? And obviously, it's just a picture of Max. Nothing else. Obviously, they're like, what, what's wrong? And the teacher's like, look, I think he might be dyslexic. And I think he needs to ha- go to special classes. And George is like, no way. Hell no. I'm against this. Let's go. Ernie has to look after his girlfriend's kids. Angie is trying like these exercises with Max. And obviously, one of the kids calls him Slopez. And George is like, look, I don't want my son to be in special ed classes. And obviously, he's like, he's like look, Max, promise me you're going to do better in school. Promise me you're going to try harder. And then obviously, Max is like, yeah, yeah, I'll promise. I promise. Then Angie's thinking that George might be dyslexic, just like Max. Because obviously, George has to present ideas about the pensions, but he can't really read properly from the paper. And so George has to try and present findings. Then he's asking Benny about how he was growing up. Benny said that she stopped George from going to remedial classes. She's like, look, you should do the same for Max. You know, be proud, be proud, whatever. Then George is basically telling Ernie that he has to split up with Linda because she's too much hassle. Max is trying to wake up early to finish his homework. And so George is realizing how much he's struggling and how much Max is struggling. And he agrees to put him into special classes. And obviously Max is like, I don't want to be in special classes. But he's like, look, 
this is going to be for your own good. And obviously, Angie's like, look, trust me, he's going to thank you for this, like, years down the line. And George gets Angie to read the proposal. And, yeah, and they're just trying to find, you know, ways to kind of read the paper. And I thought this was such a good episode. Obviously, with a lot of parents, they're thinking, oh, I don't really want to put my kid in a remedial or special class. But honestly, if it's for their own good and it's going to teach them and it's going to help them in in the long run, then it's not it's not the worst thing in the world. It's one of those things where with parents, it's like, don't immediately think remedial classes is to condemn your kid. It is probably the best thing that could happen to them if it means in the long run they're going to be better off for it. Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, um, I mean, my brother's dyslexic and teachers just see it as you being awkward or a bit sick or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And it, and it, and it hampers doesn't mean your, that at all. No, exactly. And it hampers your um, your qualifications at the end of it. How, how, how can you, if your teachers aren't trying with you, how can you learn, you know? Yeah, uh, but I think it's one of those things where if you're recommended for, like, special classes, then take those special classes don't don't leave it till you're like old and too late like it's one of those things where do it right now completely agree then i watched uh, an episode from season four the simple life and yeah so vic is cooking chicken and george is rocking him for it george is then talking to angie about a potential job offer in colorado Ernie and Benny are asking George about the potential job. Everyone is at the the factory. Everyone's like, are you going to leave? I heard you're going to leave for Colorado. Then he's telling the kids about Colorado and he doesn't tell them that he's there for a job, but he's basically saying, look, we're going there on holiday. And so obviously the, the, the climate is a lot different to LA and they hear the word interview and the kids are getting suspicious. George likes it in Colorado, but Angie isn't sure. Then Vic finds at home, he finds a list of the pros and cons of moving to Colorado. And obviously Vic and Benny are not happy about them potentially leaving for Colorado. And they say, you know what? It's fine. They're drinking George's whiskey and they're ordering pay-per-view boxing. Then Angie, she likes the schools and she likes the houses in Colorado. She's like, look, we can get a bigger place for half of the price in L.A., And George is feeling confident about the interview. He bumps into someone called Ed who's going to be interviewing him. And so Ed's like, you know what? Why don't instead of going to the office, you're here, I'm here. Let's just bang this interview out right now. Obviously, George is like, okay. He's like, I'm not ready. I haven't got my lucky clothes on or blah, 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 blah. Ed is saying that he's concerned about George missing LA. And he doesn't want to get attached. But George is like, look, I'm not going to leave. And he's like, look, if you're not going to leave, the job is yours because you're qualified. And obviously, the kids hate it. And they want to go back. But George is telling them, look, there's lots of good things in Colorado. Then uh, the kids are, there's basically Max, he's outside. Kid offers him a cigarette and tries to get him to steal. Karma gets lured in by some bad guys. And then obviously it's like, we're trying to get away from LA because of that life. And they're getting lured in, even in Colorado. Angie's worried about the kids, but George is like, not to worry. I went all the way to the finale, but obviously they don't go to, they don't stay in Colorado because something happens and they move, they come back to LA. The finale was called George Decides to Stay Local, Stay Local Where It's Familiar. I think he's trying to say, he's trying to stay local where it's, fami- where it's familiar. 
but obviously it's a play on words with oh I'm going to stay local where it's familiar. It's a play on words. It's a Spanish play on words. Very nice, very cute. So the factory is closing down and everybody is going to be jobless and they're all looking for jobs. George wants to carry on as normal and Betty is coming into the factory with her new fancy man and it's Jerry Springer and George wants to fight for the company. Then someone called Vega, who's at the big boss from Mexico, he's basically moving the factory and he's moving all the jobs to Mexico because it's a hell of a lot cheaper than the United States. And so obviously George's like to Vega, what the hell are you doing? What are you playing at? Why are you moving all of our jobs? They should stay in America. Then he's like, you know what, George, I like you. You're a good manager. I want to offer you a job in Phoenix, Arizona. And so he's like, do you mind if I shout so that people think that I'm fighting for them? So he's like, I will accept your job. Will it come with an office and a company car? And he's like, yes, it will. And so he's, and everyone thinks he's fighting for them, but he's not. Then George is telling Angie about his new job, but obviously it's in Phoenix. Ernie comes around and says that he and George should start business together. But George tells him he's leaving. He's like, look, they've basically offered me a rubbish job in Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm not really sure about it. Angie doesn't want to go and she gets upset. Max is telling George that he doesn't want to move to Phoenix and lose all his friends. Vic is talking to George about how it's like to move families because I think he he moved from Cuba to LA. He refuses to go because he's like, look, why am I going to go to Phoenix, Arizona? I like it here. George is asking Benny for advice and obviously she's telling him to go where the money is. Then she finally admits that she's going to miss George. Ernie comes around and he leaves a card. He tells George about a protest that's happening, but George advises them to have a lock-in and he calls the press and puts pressure on the bosses and George is like, I want to help. Then George calls the radio. Angie and Max are saying that they want to move now. And George, but George is like, look, I want to be around the people that I care about, my family and my friends. Then Vega comes back and he wakes George up and he's telling Vega, look, I want to stay. Obviously, Vega's like, you know how cheaper it is to move it to Mexico. But obviously, he's like, I don't care. We'll make it work. But Vega's like to George, OK, I'll keep it in L.A., but you have to run this factory. There's going to be nobody to answer to. It's just going to be you. You have to make sure that this place is running and it still makes money. And so George agrees to that. And that was George Lopez. It was really good, man. It looks like quite a wholesome, quite a nice show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it it was very very wholesome and fair play to him. He he did it. He did as much as he could with what he got, and he did a really good job with it. Right, we have to pick now. Or rank from three to one. I think two are quite close in this one. So I think third place probably married with kids, but is second place is a close second with George Lopez. But um, yeah, in a league of his own, out there in front. Running with the Flowers is um, royal family for me. Like, it's just genius. So every now and then you see a genius show, this is one of them. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is like a... It's not like a, a distant 3-2-1. It's a very, very, very 3... It's like almost a tie, really. So, But I will say, yeah, Married with Children at 3, George Lopez at 2, because I think he tried with his best. He did his best, and to be fair, he did a, a hell of a job, and credit to him and for fighting the system the way he did and yeah obviously royal family was just absolutely incredible one of the best british sitcoms at least of the 90s and maybe 
definitely in the top five of all time for me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And in the Mount, Mount Rushmore of, of British comedies, I think that's something that we'll have to figure out and think about in the coming days and weeks. Your Mount Rushmore of British sitcoms. So it's one of those things. Yeah, so we'll have to think about that. Marinade. Yeah, think about it now. Yeah. Marinade on that and think on that. And on that note, we will bring the episode to an end. Yesterday's Capers is available wherever you get your podcast from. We're available on all of the podcast platforms. So uh, turn on your notifications and you'll get new episodes all the time. We're on the socials. On Instagram, it's Yesterday's Capers 1. On Twitter, it's Yesterday Capers. YouTube.com forward slash Yesterday's Capers. Facebook.com forward slash Yesterday's Capers. You can find me on the socials, uh, Abdullah Merlim on Twitter, Abdullah underscore Merlim on Insta. Give me a holler, give me a shout, and join us next time for another episode of Yesterday's Capers. Bye.